so it is episode 100 uh, of Inside the Cylinder. This is your one of your co-hosts, David Fernandez, and I'm joined as always by my co-host Matt Way. What's up, Matt? David, um, we're uh, we're just sitting here recording uh, earlier than we expected tonight. It's February first. Uh, the Pistons Nuggets game was just postponed, which we'll talk about. Um, but I just wanted uh, to give you a shout out. Congratulations on a uh, hundred episodes. It's um, I've been a small part of a few of the episodes, and I know how much work goes into um, each one and how much time it really takes. Um, and so it's just, it's awesome that you've been doing this for a hundred episodes. So congratulations. Well, thank you, Matt. I appreciate that. And yeah, it's pretty crazy. I want to give a shout out to the old, my old co-host who many of you probably listened to before Joey Mack, him and I, uh, started off this show a few years ago. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that, uh, there's been a lot of ups and downs with it. There's been a lot of ups and downs with the Pistons uh, throughout that time period. I think that kind of has a lot to do with the ups and downs of the show itself. Uh, but uh, I'm happy to have made it this far, honestly. And thank you for for coming to join me on this show because it was uh, definitely on its last lifeline uh, coming into the season. I wasn't sure if we were going to stick around, if I was going to stick around with it. So when you hit me up and you know wanted to be part of it, I thought that was awesome. And pretty much right from there, you know, we kind of take the bull by the horns and kept this thing moving. And I can't be happier about it, honestly. <clears throat> yeah, I'm I'm really happy to be a part of it. Um, it's uh, it's something I look forward to each week. And uh, you know, I think we've we've gotten a lot of good good comments from people. And um, you know, I'm excited to keep it going for a hundred more. Definitely. And hopefully more than zero playoff wins will happen in the next 100 episodes because <laughs> that's how many playoff wins I've seen throughout uh, my time podcasting so far. Uh, but uh, yeah, let's hop into the, uh, oh, I guess just for the sort of normal stuff, you know where to find us, DetroitBadBoys.com, all new episodes on the Detroit Bad, Bad Boys podcast stream. Um, and uh, you can follow us there. You can follow Matt on Twitter at WayMattH. You can follow me on Twitter at the Financiala. So that's where you just got to do all of your, you know, prerequisites before. Uh, I don't know. Just kind of as we move along here. So as I said, you mentioned it, Matt, off the top. The uh, Pistons and Nuggets game is postponed. Um, the Pistons apparently have an inconclusive test, which does not mean that it's a positive test. And because of that, in the contact tracing, they lack the mandatory eight available players, according to the NBA. Uh, I just wanted to just note uh, Sean Corp, the lead editor over at Detroit Bad Boys, has uh, he wrote up a little piece here real quick that just kind of goes into some context that I'm going to read off of right now. So this is from Sean. Um, so as of now, there is no confirmation of a player test tested positive. If a player does test positive, that would leave the Pistons out of action for an extended period, and it would put their West Coast road trip in jeopardy. If another test is run and an inconclusive test turns into a conclusive negative test, then there's a chance this will be a temporary bump in the road for the Pistons. 
Um, so yeah, he also knows that this is the first instance health and safety protocols on the Detroit side that led to a postponement of a game. Um, they had been previously associated with a postponed game, but that was from the Wizards. Uh, so yeah, this is the first time we've really dealt from it, uh, dealt with any of this type of stuff from our team's perspective. I don't know any thoughts from you, Matt, on just the protocol, everything that they have, uh, their systems and. Um, checks and balances that they have in place to sort of monitor these situations? Um, Yeah, so I think first it was just really jarring how it came about tonight um, because it came about maybe five minutes before um, at least the listed time, maybe 15 minutes before tip-off. So for it to happen so close in time, to when the game was expected to start was um, confusing, frankly. It, 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 I never quite understand how that works. Um, I, I assume a test was delayed or just came in last second. That concerns me a little bit with the protocols, and I think we've seen some of that. Um, I'm interested to, to see – that. How, I don't really understand how the contact tracing works either. I know they like have the the monitors to kind of track who's who is close to who for how long. Um, It it seems a little, it seems a little strange to me because they, they're, you know, certainly sharing a a building together for extended periods of, of time. So that that's a little confusing to me, but you know, it seems to it seems to me that they they kind of shut everything down um, once they found out. They, there was a picture tweeted out by a Nuggets reporter, I believe, of of the Pistons just kind of social distancing in the lower bowl. Um, so they just kind of take a break and they got to figure out what's going on right now. Um, and in that sense, you know, it's I think the the protocols do seem to be overcautious, which to me is is much better than the alternative. Yeah, I agree, and it was very confusing. Honestly, the uh, the whoever is running the Pistons Twitter account had a tweet that was uh, I don't know two minutes before the scheduled start of the game, um, which was a nine o'clock um, game tonight, uh, and it was just listing off who was out, like Killian Hayes is out, and whoever else was out from the Nuggets. It's like, well. The social media person from the Pistons uh, did not know that this game had been canceled yet. That's how immediate this was. Uh, So, yeah, and it does seem like they have, as you mentioned, it it can be a little concerning that it was this close to tip. But what we've seen so far from the league is that they've bumped back game start times an hour I think that's all that I've seen so far is that they bumped it back an hour to get some of these last second tests in. So it's very clear that the NBA is cutting it very, very closely. They want to have as, I guess, as accurate as a test, as you know, time sensitive as a test as possible when it comes to mitigating any type of spread of, of COVID, obviously. So, yeah, I mean, I think that they're just doing it. It, it coming so close to a tip off. I think is just even more of a testament to them really making sure that they're doing everything as safely as they possibly can, even knowing that it's going to cause some confusion for fan bases, cause some confusion for us. And then also, you know, kind of lead their team to be sort of hung out there 
uh, you know, left out there to dry just because as we've seen, as you mentioned with that photo, it just seems like there's just some guys chilling at a, at an arena right now. They have no idea what the hell is going on. Um, but, uh, yeah, these are the sort of, uh, I guess the, what they have in place is to make sure that there is no sort of massive spread that goes on within this league. Cause that would definitely be disastrous. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we certainly hope that, um, you know, this test got, does come back negative and they're, they're able to resume, um, so that nobody, nobody has contracted that, um, you know, we, we, we all certainly are, can, can at least agree on that. Definitely. And, um, you know, we've seen this affect teams and players differently for sure. It was uh, the, the Washington Wizards had a lengthy delay in, in postponements of a lot of their games. I know Jimmy Butler has been, had been struggling with, uh, with it uh, having, I think he, did test positive and um, you know, he missed a lot of games earlier this season. So, you know, you hope just for the health of the players and for um, you know, the team overall that, that, that this is just a, a false positive and that everything gets sort of, or it, it becomes conclusive and negative um, sometime tomorrow. Uh, Cause I could definitely see this affecting the Utah jazz game, if not, you know, future games as well, but that's not the primary concern. Obviously the primary concern is, the health of the players. And this was a player. It was not someone in staff. Um, It wasn't a coach or an assistant coach. It was confirmed that it was a player. We do not know who that player is. And I'm not sure that they're going to divulge that information, but uh, we will see. And we'll track this as it continues. Absolutely. Um, So we, we have had a few games since, uh, since we last uh, podcasted um, about a week ago. Um, the Pistons got pretty much run by run out of the gym by the the Cleveland Cavaliers. Then they returned the next game and beat pretty convincingly, I would say, um, the the defending champions, the Los Angeles Lakers. And then they turn around again, um, like the Pistons have done all year, and uh, lost lost the first game after the win in a pretty convincing fashion against the Golden State Warriors. What were your uh, – do you have any you have any big takeaways from the week, uh, David? Um, well, I definitely want to give props to Blake Griffin from the Lakers game. It's not something that we can ex- – you can't expect Blake to play out of his mind every single game, but I thought he had his best game of the season against the Lakers. He had – hit five threes. He scored 23 points, um, six assists, three rebounds. He was, he just looked like he was fully engaged. He looked as spry as possible, at least as spry as we've seen from like a 2020, 2021 Blake Griffin. Uh, And uh, you know, also the Pistons defense in that game, holding the Lakers to 92 points. I know that LeBron James had 20 points in the first half and he looked unstoppable and then they held him to only two points in the second half so that Los Angeles Lakers game was definitely one of the most fun games that I've watched uh, this season so far Uh, and it's just kind of unfortunate that not only did they they lose their next game and, and that's fine if they lose a game it's just the fashion in which they lost their next game to the Golden State Warriors it was an ass kicking from the jump and uh there's not really any 
positives to take away. I mean, Josh Jackson had a pretty good game, but other than that, there's uh, it was just an ass kicking. So I guess you just kind of kind of take your licks with that one. How about yeah. You? Um, so I, I, my big one was, um, the, the Blake Griffin performance against the Lakers, um, as well as Wayne Ellington, who, you know, just, he, he just continues to be just kind of unreal from three point, uh, the, the three point land this, this week or this year, excuse me. Um, but I really thought that Blake looked as healthy as he has all year against the Lakers. I've, I've personally seen a trend in that direction. Um, you know, he, he just is moving better. Um, and you know, I, I just continue to wonder if this isn't something that Blake is intentionally doing where he's really working his way slowly into, um, game shape. Um, and and given his injury history, that that's something that's probably smart for him. You know, it will will continue to kind of monitor that and see how it goes. But the more times he can go out there and look like that, um, certainly the better for a potential trade value. Certainly, I don't think this year, but um, possibly in the future. Yeah, I had a tweet that night just saying, "This is a good Blake game, and I like good Blake games." It's just fun to see him play well. You, you know, you root for him, especially with how poorly he's looked throughout this season. So that was definitely, I think, the highlight of the week just in general when it comes to uh, Pistons land. But, um, yeah, I, I you know, I don't really have anything else. I was hoping that we were going to be able to talk about a Nuggets game. It would have been interesting to see, um, uh, you know, this uh, – Pistons team face up against the Nuggets, especially seeing how they have Jeremy Grant and Mason Plumley on their team now. So would have liked to have seen how those, uh, I guess, two parties sort of fared off against each other. But um, instead, though, for this episode, we are bringing to you actually before we get into the mailbag questions, Matt, uh, do you have any other takeaways from this week or anything else you wanted to discuss? <clears throat> No, I th- I think that covers everything that I wanted to talk about. Um, you know, we it was it was kind of a predictable week. Um, I, maybe the only other thing, uh, well, I guess, not predictable, but um, kind of what we've come to expect from the Pistons is, is a better way to put it. Um, you know, I, I would, I guess, the, the the one thing from the week, the maybe formerly um, Pistons related, was um, Andre Drummond against the the Pistons, which is classic Andre Drummond. Um, I don't, I don't particularly miss watching it. Um, but you just you, you got plenty of good, lots of good in that game from him. Um, plenty of bad, plenty of confusing, plenty of, just just the entire Andre Drummond experience. Um, which I don't know the the uh, nostalgia in me. Not that it's been that long, but um, I, I enjoyed watching it for a night. But I'm glad I don't have to watch it 82 nights anymore. Yeah, there's something about going up against Andre nowadays where it's just like, I know he's going to have 20 points and 16 boards. And I know he's going to have a couple steals and a block. You know, I, I know he's going to stuff the stat sheet. There's definitely going to be some confusing moments throughout the game. But when it comes to a consistent level of production, you're going to get that out of Andre Drummond. And it does seem to, I guess, bring it back to Andre Drummond just a little bit. The narrative surrounding Andre Drummond seems to have changed 
maybe not drastically, but slightly what I've noticed when it comes to NBA Twitter, other fan bases kind of talking about Andre Drummond compared to how he was talked about when he was in Detroit, even though to me, him as a player and as a productive player in that hasn't changed at all in the past two, three, four years. He's still that type of guy who's going to get you 18 to 20 points and 15 to 17 boards a night. Um, But it is interesting to me to see that the conversation seemed to have changed and gone towards his favor a little bit more since he's moved from Detroit on to Cleveland. That's, I don't know. Have you noticed that at all on your end? Yeah, a little bit. And, you know, I think partly it's just because the the Cavs are kind of a fun defensive team to watch and his uh, aggressive gambling style kind of fits that well. Um, So that's part of it. You know, he is an expiring contract, so he's he's probably going to get traded in the near future. Um, That would be my guess, at least. Um, So so I think that's probably a part of it. And I I just think, frankly, the, the Cavaliers are a lot more fun to watch um, than the Pistons have been in, uh, in, in the past three or four years. Um, I, you know, but I, I think what you're seeing with Drummond is kind of what he's always been. Like he's kind of a, he's more of a floor raiser um, because he's going to give you, like you said, that consistent production. Um, but his flaws are always going to prevent you from being, you know, he, he's not a ceiling raiser. He's almost a ceiling lower um, because of his flaws and, uh, you know, I, I think you're seeing a lot of that in Cleveland, but because they've kind of won maybe some more games than people were expecting, um, he's kind of intriguing at this point. Yeah, that's really well put, honestly. Um, but yeah, let's move on then to uh, the uh, topic, I guess you could say. It was a mailbag. So we kicked it to you guys to submit some questions. And I'm going to start us off here by getting into the first question. Uh, this is from the Twitter user opinionated underscore MJ. So thank you for sending one in. And the question is pretty straightforward and I'm gonna kick this to you, Matt. Uh, do we move anyone? Do we move anybody by the deadline? I would be pretty surprised if we did not move at least one player. Um, I fully expect Wayne Ellington to be moved. You know, I, they I think they definitely are going to want to get Sfi some additional minutes to help them decide what they want to do this summer with him. So Wayne Ellington is, is the, the, the number one candidate, I think um, with Derek Rose being just shortly behind him. Um, I would, I think David Derek is probably a favorite to get moved at this point. He, he hasn't been great, but we know, you know, what he, what he was last year. Um, and, and I, I was, I've been critical of David Derek Rose. I was critical of him last year. Um, but he, you know, at the same, at, at the same time, he can still put pressure, um, on the rim and open things up, um, for your, your bench offense. Um, and he, he certainly can provide that for contenders. And we've seen throughout the years, contenders are, are always looking for that sort of thing that and shooting um, at the deadline. So I would, I would expect both of those guys to get moved. Yeah. Those are the two that I have on my list as well. Wayne Ellington is shooting 51% from three this season, which is insane. Um, So yeah, he could definitely help out a team 
And we've talked about a couple of these teams already. The Sixers, who are always looking for more shooting. The Warriors. The Mavericks come to mind because they've been struggling a bit uh, as of late. Uh, Derrick Rose, you mentioned he's he is struggling a little bit, but he's still averaging 14 points, four and a half assists, roughly four and a half assists per game this season. He does seem like a perfect sort of offensive jolt off the bench for a team who needs a scoring punch. Uh, there were a couple teams that were reported that were interested in Derrick Rose. Uh, that was from The Athletic this week. Um, one of them being the New York Knicks, which uh, has uh, Derrick Rose's old coach in tow there. Um, and also a, a surprising team that came out of that was uh, it sounds like the Los Angeles Clippers at least have some sort of interest in Derrick Rose. Did you see that at all, Matt, over this weekend? <clears throat> I did see that one. Um, the Clippers, um, I guess, surprised me a bit. Um, but, you know, they are one of those teams who certainly could use his offense off the bench to put some more pressure um, in the paint for, for opposing defenses. Um I don't know if maybe Lou Williams is kind of outstate as welcome there. Um, you know, Lou's he's he can score points in bunches, obviously off the off the bench, but he doesn't kind of put that same pressure on the rim that that Derrick Rose does. So I could see that being the case. Um, the the Knicks with Thibodeau would, wouldn't surprise me. They could use um, they could use somebody like that, but they also have Emmanuel Quickly, who's just playing amazing right now um and so it's uh, you know it's the knicks so who knows right um but that's not a move that i would i would make if i were the knicks yeah i I guess with the the clippers having and i had heard this as well lou williams hasn't played that well this season he's only scoring nine and a half points per game he's shooting 38 percent of the floor so it looks like that they'd be looking for a guy to essentially be Lou Williams <laughs> uh, if they were to bring him in um, and to replace him. So that's, I assume, what they would be looking for there um, just because they, they do still need some additional scoring off the bench. But, um, yeah, I, I guess I, a question I did have for you kind of off of this, Matt, are there any dark horse candidates that you think that could be traded from Detroit? Or do you think if, if anyone's getting moved, it's going to be Wayne Ellington or Derrick Rose? And, and if it's not those two, one of those two guys or both of those guys, then they'll most likely be standing pat. I would be pretty surprised to see anyone else move. Um, you know, maybe Svi. Uh, he's the only one, he's the only other one that I could really see moving. I think. Yeah, I, I agree. I don't think anyone's signing up for Julio Okafor. Or and I'd be surprised to see the Pistons move on from one of their more young core pieces, if you will. Um, so I guess in that same vein, uh, another tweet that came in, another question from at Motor City Hoops. Uh, so this is assuming that we trade Derrick Rose, obviously. What do we end up getting in return for Derrick Rose? So I was listening to the ESPN NBA podcast. And it sounds like the one with, uh, I don't know the actual name of it, but the the Brian Windhorse one. Um, And it sounds like the asking price for a guy, they had mentioned uh, PJ Tucker and Derrick Rose in this podcast specifically that came out earlier today, I believe, or maybe yesterday. 
Um, but the asking price for a guy like P.J. Tucker is either a first-round pick or they had mentioned three second-round picks. So apparently a lot of the playoff teams in the NBA aren't in position or aren't allowed to trade a 2021 or a 2022 first-round pick because of the rule that you can't trade consecutive first-round picks. Um, I think it was for three straight years. Is that the rule, Matt? Um, so you can't you can't you can't trade away um, multiple or I guess consecutive years. Um, what okay. you can do what you can do is pick swap every other year, which is like what the Nets have done a couple times, where they've just given up um, a first round pick one year, a swap the next, a first the next, a swap the next. So um, that that's kind of how teams get around that. Okay. Yeah. And that, um, it seems like a lot of the teams that are in contention right now are not able to trade away a first round pick. I don't even think Derrick Rose would net a first rounder either way. For Rose, hopefully you get a high second or maybe even a young player and a second, kind of like the trade that we saw that netted Sfi, um and sent out Reggie Bullock a couple of years ago. But in all rea- reality, I think if you're moving Derrick Rose, you're going to get a mediocre second rounder. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, this fee, uh, this fee trade, I th- um, or the the Reggie Bullock's fee trade, um, getting Svee in a second, I think is probably a best case scenario. Um, you might be able to get. You, you're gonna probably have to take on some sort of salary um, from from Derrick Rose um, because he makes seven and a half million somewhere somewhere in there. Um, and if you're going to trade him to a, a playoff team, um, which is what I would assume the Pistons would be doing, then they're going to be over the cap and they're going to have to give, you know, around a, at least a $6 million back to the Pistons. So there's some potential there. Um, you know, if you're the Pistons, certainly I think you do not want to take on, you know, multiple years of salary, maybe next year if it's a guy who um, you want to take a chance on. But if it's just a throw in like Lou Williams, um, you know, I, I, I definitely don't think you want to take on multiple years. So so that's those are kind of the things that I would be looking for in a, in a Derrick Rose return, I guess. Yeah, I agree. You definitely don't want to be taking on more years than you have to, um, especially if you're just getting in like a throw in second round pick. The, the, the There is a scenario out there where Derrick Rose is not traded and he is bought out. Like I, you know, that is something that I didn't expect to happen going into this season. Um, that also was something that I didn't expect to see last year with Markeith Morris. I thought that there would be a, a at least a some sort of market out there for him to net a second rounder. But at the end of the day, they ended up uh, buying him out. I could see a similar situation happening for a Derrick Rose, kind of letting him be and free and go to a team of his choosing. I think that he's earned that from Detroit. But uh, hopefully that uh, they'll be able to, um, you know, make both sides happy, get them some sort of draft compensation, um, as well as move Derrick to a, a team that is fighting for the playoffs or fighting to contend, essentially. So, yeah, there, there's uh, – we'll see. But I, I'm not 100% certain that Derrick Rose doesn't get bought out by the end of the year. That's it's definitely a possibility. All right. Well, moving on then, and this is still in the trade vein. Apparently, everyone is uh, drinking the trade Kool-Aid right now. Uh, this is from Whaley, 
J16. Um, so thank you for submitting that question. Uh, do you think this is to you? I'm kicking this to you, Matt. Do you think taking a buy low shot on Lonzo Ball is a good idea? Would he fit with the young roster? Rose for Lonzo straight up works. So I don't, you don't need to address the Rose stuff. I think we've talked enough about him, but just in general, that type of trade, a trade that's centered around Lonzo Ball, bringing him to Detroit. What are your thoughts on that? I am totally for bringing Lonzo Ball in if it makes sense. Um, I, I'm, I'm struggling to see a trade there that makes sense, but um, if they were able to to do it, I would certainly welcome Lonzo Ball in. And it's funny because I I was not a Lonzo Ball fan coming out of um, college. I thought he was he was a bit overhyped, um, you know. And he was the I think he was the number three pick. Um, he was two. No, yeah, uh, yeah, yes, he was. Jason Tatum was number three that year. Um, so Lonzo Ball was the, he was the, he was the number two pick. I didn't think he was worthy, maybe of the the number two pick because um, I had concerns about his shooting, um, which has kind of been borne out. Um, but but that's still I think a to be determined uh, thing because he's he has made some progress at least in like his shooting motion, which at, at UCLA like you could just tell this was not going to work um, in the NBA. <laughs> Definitely um, not. <laughs> yeah. It was one of the ugliest threes, and it was good at UCLA somehow, but it, you knew it wasn't going to be consistent enough to make it in the NBA. Yeah, it was just too long, right? He he was he he just wound up like Tim Tebow throwing a, a deep ball or even a short pass. Um, but um, sorry f- to, to any Tim Tebow fans for that reference. Um, but, you know, he the one thing that I was the other thing that I was worried about was his defense, which is, um, you know, we knew he had good de- defensive instincts. I had concerns about him in the pick and roll because he, he really got kind of um, he, he he got eliminated by a lot of screens in um, college um, and in the summer league. And I, I was skeptical of that, but I think he's, he's become a really good defender. He's still a super gifted passer. He's just a smart passer. And you know what? His passing, frankly, reminds me of Killian Hayes. Like that's who Killian kind of reminds me of, um, is Lonzo ball. Like, like certainly, you know, he can be better than Lonzo ball has been through four years. Um, you know, that's, that remains to be seen, but they they're more cerebral players. They don't um, they're not flashy, but they they just make a lot of good passes. They can make flashy passes, um, and the shooting is kind of to be determined. Um, and the other thing about Lonzo Ball <clears throat> is that he's only twenty three years old. Um, you know, and he he turned twenty three in October, so he's still super young. Um, so to just give up on Lonzo because kind of he's been a poor three-point shooter and that's limited his offense is short-sighted a little, but teams can be short-sighted. Um, and those are the the gambles, I think, that the Pistons need to make. Yeah, so Lonzo, I was a big Lonzo fan over the past two seasons or so. I wasn't, I didn't necessarily think that he was going to be a star when he came into the league. Um, but I thought there was definitely something there, there. Uh, but this season, he's he's definitely slumped. Uh, I think people were expecting him to, to have a jump 
um, coming into, well, both going into the bubble where he did not play well uh, last season. Then also um, this season, this year, he's shooting 40% from the field. His three has dipped as well. He's down to 32% there, um, 12 and a half points and 31 minutes per game. So there's just a lot of elements, both from like a production and an efficiency standpoint to where he has either not taken that leap or he has dipped. So that is a concern for me. I guess I'm looking at this in, you know, from two different angles. Like one, how quickly do you think you'd be able to make a long-term decision about Lonzo Ball within your organization? Um, I, I would feel like that they, Troy Weaver and staff would already have to have identified how well, how much they value him because he's set to be a free agent after this season. So are you confident that you know what you'd be signing up for? Because if you are trading for him, then you are trading to to pay him to to give him at least his next deal, uh, whether that be you know a three year deal or more. So I would assume if you were making a trade like that, um, you'd either think that you'd be able to to understand his value before the season's end, or you already value him to a certain extent. Uh, my second angle uh, that I'm looking at this from is how much do you value Killian Hayes? He's been billed at least on at least from what I my understanding is of how the Pistons view him as a point guard of the future. You know, we've only seen him play for seven games. I still still consider myself an optimist, even with the injury. Uh, and I'm sure the organization values him even higher than I do, since they're the ones who are tied to him and decided to select him with the seventh overall pick. So I don't think they'd necessarily be like betting against themselves. And bring in Killian Hayes' direct competition so quickly. Um, and I don't see those two guys being able to survive on the floor together based on their suspect shooting, to say the least, right now. So that's why I'm, when I saw this question come through, I was like, oh, yeah, you know, Killian Hayes. You know, I was thinking about Lonzo and Detroit and it's exciting and whatnot. But after thinking about it a little bit more, Thoroughly, I don't see that being a viable option, both from you know the standpoint of how quick of a turnaround you need, and and the fact that you literally just drafted a point guard top ten uh, this past off season. Yeah, if it certainly if it's going to stunt Killian's growth, um, then then you you don't do it. Um, I, I I guess I just think if you know if you are talking about trading him for Derrick Rose or it's it's you know something that you're you're not losing anything out um I, I do think you can just take a flyer on him even for this year um you know I don't I don't know what you do with him in the in the future um in terms of his next contract but I don't frankly think he's going to get a whole lot in his in his next contract because he's he's been struggling so much um so that I mean that's that's definitely a component to it as well I think yeah, apparently the Hollinger like predictive, uh, yeah, the predictive index for what his next contract was supposed to be going into this year. Had he sort of continued to grow as a player, as a lot of people had expected, he had expected his next contract to look somewhere around twenty million dollars a year for Lonzo Ball. So that is definitely not going to be the case. Uh, I'm sure that won't be the case once he finally does sign a contract with whatever it is, um, with whatever team it is he he does sign on to. But that's kind of crazy that that's what that they had expected him or what the Hollinger predictive 
index had expected him to be at after this year. <clears throat> yeah, that is that's a wild number because I wouldn't be surprised if he took like a two-year, you know, twenty million dollar contract or something like that, um, just to kind of prove himself. Because um, I, I, I'm I'm struggling to see a team that's going to give Lonzo a a long-term contract, and that's sort of what I'm um, accounting for in my my thoughts about um, being willing to take him on in the in the right uh, in the right transaction. Yeah, I, I guess you're kind of talking me into it a little bit here. Uh, but, uh, yeah, we'll see. I, I would be surprised to see him stay with the Pelicans for the rest of this season. Um, it does seem like they've fully jumped on the Nikhil Alexander-Walker train, as they should, in my opinion, um, as their next as their point guard of the future. So we'll see. I mean, there definitely will be some sort of market for him, and it just depends whether or not Detroit wants to dip their toe in that water. Um, so do you want to hit the one that your friend had sent in and maybe give your friend a shout out? Yes. Um, I can, I can, I can certainly do that. Um, this is from Matt H Farhat. Thanks Matt for the question. Um, and so I'll, I'll ask this to you, David, what is Jeremy Grant's long-term ceiling and which other NBA star does his game most closely mimic? So this was difficult for me. This was a fun question, too. So shout out to your friend. Um, long-term ceiling for me, and it's the, what makes it difficult is because his meteoric rise that we've seen this season is crazy. So I don't want to stifle that too much and say that or, or lower the bar of what it is that uh, I think that he can do. But for me, a long-term ceiling is – a multiple time all-star like I wouldn't be shocked if he were able to make two to four all-star games once his career is all said and done he's already playing at an all-star level this season but he's on a bad team and he probably won't make it this year nor should he really but um you know but should think Detroit turn things around next year or the following year then I could easily see him making a team in the near future and I also think we already have him as the most improved player of the year. And I think that's still where I have him right now. Um, so that's where I have him from a, a sort of ceiling perspective. I don't know. What are your thoughts on, on his ceiling? <clears throat> yeah, I, I think that's pretty accurate. Um, in terms of like his ceiling, the ceiling, like where he provides the most valuable value to your team. I think it's, you know, it's not what we're seeing this year. Like, it's great that we, we've seen it. And, you know, it it definitely makes him valuable moving forward as a guy who can do something like this when you need him to. Um, but I still think, like, he is, like, a number three option who can just terrorize def- uh, offenses, excuse me, um, with his length um, and, and expend more energy. Like, on a contender, that, I think, is – is his ceiling um, or his, I guess, ideal role. And I, I think that's really where you get – are going to get the most out of Jeremy. Um, I, you know, I expect his efficiency to drop at some point this year, um, at least a bit. And I think, like, in terms of maximizing his de- defense, you know, keeping him fresh on defense and um, really maximizing, maximizing his efficiency, I think you really want him as, like, this just terror – um, third third option on, on a contender. And the name that comes to mind for me, it's it's not a 
a current name. Um, and he's, he's, I think, you know, he's a better shooter than this guy, but, but Andre Kirilenko, um, back in his prime with the Utah jazz in the, the mid aughts was that kind of player. And he was, he was kind of before his time. Um, he could shoot a little bit. He could just do a little bit of everything. And he was just a monster defensively. And that's really, um, that, that might seem like a slight to, to Jeremy Grant, but, you know, there, there are some metrics out there that suggest that Kirilenko was like a top 10, top 15 player for, for several years in his prime. Um, and that's, that's the kind of player that I could see Jeremy Grant kind of that. I think that's kind of where his ceiling is at. Okay. All right. So I guess I'm probably going to be a little off here then compared to the Kirilenko shout out, but uh, I don't know how that's far a off the wall. <laughs> No, no, no. I, I, I understand. When you said it from a size and defensive standpoint, it made sense. Uh, for me, and I think I don't think Jeremy Grant is as good as this player or going to be as good as this player, but I was just trying to think of modern guys that remind me of Jeremy Grant, both from a skill set standpoint and from a size standpoint. Um, and that's Paul George. Um, they both have similar, like robust counting stats, stats across the board. Um, they're both similar size. Uh, they're six eight. They're both six eight. I think uh, Jeremy Grant is listed at two ten. Um, Paul George is listed at two hundred twenty pounds, and they're both solid two way players. Now, Paul George is definitely more buttery in his game. He's got a better handle. Um, he's a different type of athlete. He's a little more silky and it just looks a little more natural to him where Jeremy Grant is a little bit more, um, I guess, unorthodox, a little herkier, jerkier compared to, to Paul George, but still really, really effective and has that inside outside game that we've seen so far this year, at least when it comes to the three, when it comes to creating in the mid range, um, you know, in transition in the paint, he's just been good in every level so far this year. So yes, I'm not saying that he is the next Paul George. Um, He's a lot older when he's coming on compared to Paul George was doing things that, that were pretty crazy and very impressive um, early on in his career. But from what I've just from like that size, that two way ability and that three level scoring for me, it's Paul George. Um, with Paul George being the better player. But that's who he reminds me of the most, I guess, of this current game right now. How far off is that to you? I, I don't think it's far off at all. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, again, like Paul George is kind of the same thing. Like he's a number two, three option, ideally. Um, <clears throat> you know, the st- stylistically, it's a little different. But, you know, for as nice as Paul George's game looks, um, it's not always as effective as it looks. Um, I just hope that Jeremy Grant doesn't give himself a terrible nickname um, like Paul George did. The uh, playoff P. Yeah. 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 That turned into pandemic P I think. <laughs> yeah. I just remember he had the uh, Gatorade commercial with the game winner over the Pistons. Um, I don't know why it was the Pistons, but it, it was in that Gatorade commercial and all of the stats about him and his last second shots had came out and, it was a uh, pretty comical. Good times. Um, <laughs> all right. Do you want to read the next one? Or do you want me to read the next one? Because I'm going to read this uh, Twitter handle 
And I don't know if you want to read the Twitter handle or uh, not. You, you can go for it. <laughs> All right. Well, this is from PukeBoy69. So <laughs> thank you, PukeBoy. Uh, but it's a good question. Uh, if you could redo one draft between 2010 and 2021, which would it be? The kicker is that you can only select a player taking one to three spots after the Pistons selection. So example, if the Pistons picked at nine, you can keep the pick or choose a player picked at, at pick 10, 11, or 12, but not after that. Matt, who did you choose? So I struggled with this one a little bit just because I I thought about picking Donovan Mitchell because, but it was just too obvious. And I, I, I kind of wanted the Pistons to pick Donovan Mitchell um, with that pick in 2017. Um, but I'm actually going to go pick after Donovan Mitchell um, and go with Bam Adebayo um, because I think a guy like Bam Adebayo is so much harder to find than, than a guy like Donovan Mitchell. And Donovan Mitchell's terrific. Um, but when you can find a, a center like Bam who has just taken these gigantic leaps. I mean, he's, he's just been awesome this year. Every time I've watched him, um, you know, he, he, in the, in the, the games against the Pistons, um, he just kind of quietly went about his business. It wasn't flashy, but he, he defended well. He, he's learnt really learning how to, how to shoot and get his shot. Um, and he's just a guy that, can fit on any iteration of any team you'll ever need. Um, he he just does everything. He plays such good defense. He's so versatile. Um, he's like my ideal NBA center at this point. And I, I think he's just going to be – I mean, I, I see him kind of working his way into MVP discussions um, eventually. Who'd you have? Uh, I had Bam. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Took my thunder. I was going to roll it out, you know, make people think I was taking Donovan Mitchell. But, no, I, I have Bam as well. He's just a freak. He's ultra-athletic, ultra-gifted. He's He can be a defensive player of the year uh, one year or multiple, year, multiple years. He has the offensive game. Like he's already averaging 20 points per game, 9.4 boards, 5.5 assists per game, and he's only 23 years old. And you mentioned how much he's grown from year to year. He did torch the Pistons. I'm thinking back about the game-saving block that he had against Jason Tatum in the playoffs. Like that's just a that's just a a, a star type of play right there. And um, yeah, there's nothing not to like about Bam Adebayo. And I think when and no offense, to, no disrespect to Donovan Mitchell, he's a great player. But uh, I Bam Adebayo's don't ever come by that he's just a, a one of a kind type of player uh and, and i think that he'd be the perfect s- center to anchor your team on for the rest of that player's career um and i'm thinking that that's what the miami heat will be doing with bam Adebayo, um you know keeping him in a heat jersey for as long as possible so yeah uh, that was my guy too, and, and it wasn't that difficult. I thought it was going to be a harder thought experiment, but then as I was looking through it, I was like, "I want Bam. Bam's awesome." So yeah, that's what that's what uh, brought me there. 
Yeah, yeah, me too. Um, the only other person that I really considered, I mean, I think the clay pick is is a great pick too. Um, but in that, that 2011 draft, um, <clears throat> Kemba Walker went the pick after Brandon Knight, which uh, would have made the Pistons' trajectory from 2011 on probably a whole lot different. It would have been uh, it would have been interesting to see what would have happened there, and it, it sure would have been fun to watch um, a young Kemba kind of um, take the NBA by storm like he did in a way that I think not a, a lot of people were betting against. Um, but he, you know, he's 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 uh, he's struggled with injury this year, but he he's one of my favorite players to just watch. He I, I just love watching him uh, operate. Um, it's it's a unique style, and I, I would have liked to see him in a, a Pistons uniform as well. Definitely, and he's an ultra loyal type of guy. We we've seen him be like that and be that type of leader that that you'd want to to run your team. Um, and uh, I'm also a big Kemba Walker fan. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean that's all I got, Matt. You got anything else for the peeps? I don't. I, I don't. Um, you know, we'll uh, we'll see if we have anything to talk about next week. We might have to come up with some uh, ideas uh, depending on how this <laughs> testing goes. Um, so, if anyone has any suggestions, uh, please feel free to hit us up. Yeah, you might be getting mailbag mailbag round two uh, coming at you next week if uh, the Pistons can't play some games. Maybe we can do like uh, I don't know a rewatchables type of situation. Um, but, uh, for now, yeah, we're all set and, uh, we will catch you all next week. Um, and as a reminder, just again, follow us on the Detroit bad boys podcast stream and all new episodes will be on DetroitBadBoys.com. So for Matt, I'm David. Catch y'all later. Peace.